Hello, friends, and welcome. It is Tuesday afternoon in Texas, and I hope that you are having a great and wonderful day and a wonderful start to your week. Uh, we continue to go through the book of Psalms on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. Tyler, Texas time, and uh, glad to have you joining along with us. I appreciate all who watch. We do seem to have a lot of viewers. Uh, many of you watch live. Many others watch uh, sometime later after it has been posted onto my Facebook page and also our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook pages and also on our westerwin.com website where we have uh, a lot of the older uh, sermons that and lessons and even worship services at westerwin.com. Then you click on uh, scroll over to social media and resources and uh, click on live stream channel and then you can see it live uh, there uh, if it's Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Sunday afternoon at 6 p.m. when I do my Philippian study. And if you missed that, then just scroll down a little bit underneath that big blue box and click on where it says video archives, click here, and you'll have a wealth of information and a lot of lessons and sermons and devotionals uh, from over the past months. And it's a great blessing to have this. I appreciate all of those who uh, are working with us. I see a couple of my family already online, my cousin Gail, wonderful to have Gail and Keith. I love them so much and they've been a great encouragement in all of these. Also, my sister Alice, who is actually preparing to uh, uh, teach a class on the wonderful story of Rahab, one of my great, great, my favorite confession, I think, in all of Scripture. Uh, maybe Thomas's when he says, my Lord and my God, in John chapter 20, is up there with this one. And Peter's com uh, comment in Matthew 16, 18, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Rahab, this pagan woman, uh, has a wonderful confession as well uh, there before the city of Jericho is overtaken uh, by Joshua and his troops. It's a great, uh, great story. So my sister will be teaching on that one in a ladies class this week, and I'm proud, very proud of of her. Um, uh, good to see Cindy and Eric Mosley joining us as well. And so I'm going to uh, go ahead and stop stalling and uh, try to get into this lesson as we go through the book of Psalms. Um, uh, this week, we're going to focus on the Word of God. Uh, today and Thursday, we're going to look at three different Psalms, uh, two today and one on Thursday, that uh, deal uh, with the subject of God's Word. Uh, there are several others, of course, that will mention that. Lots of psalms uh, are calls to obedience. The psalmist uh, uh, speaking to all around to worship and praise the Lord and to uh, be obedient to his laws and his commands. Uh, and we certainly see that in the ones that we're going to be talking about uh, today. I will give a little commercial, though, this past Sunday in my series, What I Believe and Why, which I've been doing uh, every week starting uh, this month, earlier this month. Um, we uh, spoke about absolute truth and uh, asked if there is such a thing and shared a little bit about what I believe that absolute truth is. I mentioned that uh, not very long ago, it uh, wasn't really a point of discussion to ask, is there absolute truth or not? And everybody pretty much believed that. And if they didn't believe it, and I think many didn't believe it, they just kept quiet about it because it was not culturally and socially acceptable uh, to not believe in uh, truth. And really, in many ways in this country, not to believe in the Bible. 
Uh, now that's changed, and in a democratic republic, that doesn't upset me all that much. What does upset me is when people of faith aren't sure about that, and that does get my dander up a little bit because I think all people of faith should be looking to the word of God uh, to affirm First of all, that there is absolute truth. Jesus himself said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Um, that's pretty clearly stated and runs against the grain in, in our country right now. And, and we understand that. And we don't try to be arrogant about that or proud or boastful. We realize we're humans, we're sinners, we don't obey everything that the Word of God says, but the difference is, is that we acknowledge it as the Word of God, and we are seeking to live that way, and I think that is um, a significant difference. Jesus himself said, look, I'm not come uh, to condemn anybody, he said, I have come to save everyone uh, that will turn to me, but they must turn to me, he says, unless you believe that I am or that I am he, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. Later on in that verse, in that chapter, in John 8, to the Jews who had believed in him. These were, these were Jews who believed him and were listening in as he taught and preached. He said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, we like that last part, uh, being free. But what Jesus says is there's only one way to actually be tr free, truly free, and that is when you give yourself uh, to understand uh, and to know and to learn and to obey uh, the word of God. Um, lots and lots. I won't go over that whole sermon, but it's a, it's a really important subject to me, especially right now in these days when it seems so uncommon. Uh, to hear those who would say, look, I believe that the Bible is God's word and that we may only know it incompletely, and but we can do the best we can and should and must. I think that's the teaching of scripture. I always come down to the question of, well, do you believe that the Bible is God's inspired word or not? If you believe that it's not God's inspired and authoritative word, then okay, you get to live however you want to live. Um, and, and that's up to you. Uh, but if you believe that the Bible is God's inspired and authoritative word, then I think two things need to happen. Number one, you need to try to figure out what it says uh, and, and spend some time in it and, and spend some time studying it. And number two, you need to seek to let it be the guide for your life, which means that you try to live in a way that is obedient to what you read in God's inspired word, the Bible. Again, we do that humbly. We do that recognizing our own humanity, our own limitations of time and space. We live in 21st century America. We have been, most of us have lived here all our lives, visited perhaps other countries, other cultures, um, but this is where we are and when we are. And so we try to take that into consideration, but we read scripture and and seek to understand it and and seek to live by it and humbly uh, and respectfully and considerately share it whenever we can. That's kind of the the gist of the sermon. I, I encourage you to listen to it. Not very long. It begins with a, um, a pretty in-depth prayer that I offered as our president and first lady. Had, uh, it had been announced that they were 
um, tested positive for uh, the COVID-19, other of our elected officials and others on their staff, and of course, so many uh, millions of people around the world. And so I started with prayer because I felt like that was the appropriate thing to do on this past Sunday. Uh, and then go on to um, to speak about absolute truth and that I believe there is absolute truth and it is absolutely God's word. I, I shared a quote on uh, this at the beginning of this sermon Sunday, and I thought I would start before we get into Psalms 1 and, and Psalms 19 today. Um, this quote from Tim Keller, who is a wonderful uh, writer and preacher and teacher of preachers, um, very popular today. Uh, he wrote this in a tweet uh, this past month, almost exactly one month ago, on September 4th. He said this, two seemingly contradictory currents mark our society. One, there is a denunciation of all claims of absolute truth. And two, there is also a fanaticism in which one position or group is absolutely right. Nothing is ambiguous and divergent views should be destroyed. And I, I couldn't help but chuckle when I read that because I think he's exactly right. In our polarized, uh, very strongly opinionated uh, society right now in this country, in the midst of a very polarizing election and campaign, um, those two things seem to be heard a lot. Number one is that there's no absolute truth. But the second one is, I have the absolute truth, and if you disagree with me, then you're wrong. <laughs> or even worse, you're evil. And um, not all people who are wrong are evil. Not all people who are right are good. And so I think we have to dig a little bit deeper than that. And again, approach it with humility, but approach it with conviction that we believe strongly that there is absolute truth, and that we also believe strongly that our opinions are not that absolute truth. Um, basically, that truth is found in the word of God, in scripture. And interestingly enough, that's not just an American Christian idea. That's not even just a New Testament idea. That is something that the psalmist felt as well, uh, perhaps a thousand years before Christ was even born. Uh, some of the words that we're reading today were likely written. And so I want us to consider that as we consider the word of God today and also on Thursday. Thursday, we'll look at that incredibly uh, wonderful uh, chapter of Psalm 119 that is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, and yet its theme is the word of God. That's Thursday, though. Today, we're in Psalm 1 and Psalm 19. Uh, and I want us to begin by thinking about a few of the many hymns and songs that are out there about the Word of God. Uh, we we sing those a lot, uh, actually, and we hear songs about God's Word even on Christian radio. And, uh, and so you can probably think of a few. We're going to sing some coming up uh, this Sunday. We sang a couple last Sunday. This Sunday, we're going to sing that great hymn, How Shall the Young Secure Their Hearts and Guard Their Lives from Sin?, uh, and that the answer to that question is, uh, thy word is everlasting truth. How pure is every page. That holy book shall guide our youth and well support our age. Uh, that psalm taken right out of Psalm 119 that we'll look at this coming 
uh, Thursday. Thy Word, that great uh, song, I think is written by Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant's version. I just love it so much. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Also taken out of the 119th Psalm. That great uh, um, hymn, Give Me the Bible. Um, uh, I love that song. Uh, and I love the way it, it puts it as it talks about how law and love combining. Uh, that is such a great, great way of saying what the Bible does. Uh, it, it, it doesn't let us lead, lead and rule ourselves because as God's creation, that only leads to frustration and unhappiness and ultimately death. But it says law and love combining thy light shall guide me in the narrow way that Jesus himself talks about in Matthew chapter seven, a precept and promise law and love combining till night shall vanish in eternal day. Today, we're going to look at the 19th Psalm that really is a is a great illustration of that talking about how precept and promise, law and love are combined in the word of God. And then a, a newer song, a more contemporary song, Ancient Words, um, that's such a great, great song. Oh, I love that song so much and I love its message that looks back to the ancient word of God and yet acknowledges that it is still God's truth uh, today. It's such a wonderful, wonderful song. I hope you are able to sing that sometimes at your church, and I hope that you're able to consider those great words. You know, as we turn to the Psalms today, and, and, and as we think about these two great Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 19, um, we would understand the psalmist feeling a little bitter about the law. I mean, they lived under the old law, the law of Moses, you know, the one that we always talk about and say, this thing is the worst thing ever. Uh, how could anyone bear to live up under that? And yet the psalmists uh, write about that law and they write about the joy that they have in being obedient to that law. We would understand if they would make a statement like, oh, how I detest your law. Oh, how I feel so constrained by your law. Uh, or even, oh, how I tolerate your law. But the truth is the psalmist doesn't say, he doesn't even say, oh, how I live obediently to your law, although they do. But rather the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. Uh, and that surprises me every time I read it in Psalm 119. And so today, as we look at Psalm 1 and Psalm 19, and then Thursday at Psalm 119, we emphasize with the psalmist the word of God. So Psalm 1, first of all, not very long, only six verses, uh, but what a powerful, powerful statement and message. And it's uh, the first part of that message in the first three verses is, a, is a, uh, an acknowledgement of the truth that the righteous obey and delight in God's law and in God's word and are blessed. And again, it's interesting to me that this is the very first of the Psalms and its focus and its emphasis is on the word of God. Uh, Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Uh, again, at the very beginning, just like the longest psalm is geared and focused on the word of God, the very first of the psalms is focused on the word of God. And it calls the person who 
uh, is lives obediently to God's law, blessed. Blessed is that person who uh, doesn't go with the wicked, but rather seeks to live according to the word of God. In fact, in verse two, they don't just live obediently, but rather they delight in the word of God. They delight in the law of the Lord and they meditate on it. I I, I don't understand people who say that the Bible is God's word and yet they've never read it. They've never seriously considered it. They've never seriously studied it. Oh, they may, you know, look at a meme or, or uh, forward something on Facebook or Twitter or email or Instagram that's got a nice picture. In fact, I did that, as you know, uh, earlier this week, yesterday, on the on a great song, a great verse that we're going to read in just a moment from Psalm 19. And that's okay. That's great. In fact, I'm glad to see it. And I know that God can do great things with that. It's a wonderful seed planted. But if that's as far as you go, that's not far enough. You've got to open up the word of God. You've got to meditate on it. And and I, I get that we're human and that we won't understand it completely, but that doesn't give us permission to not seek to understand it and to study it at all. Uh, God calls us to do exactly the opposite. Um, the psalmist says that those who are righteous obey God's word and are blessed. But then he also gives us the other part, just as we said when we were introducing the psalms. The psalmist a lot of time will do that. He'll talk. He'll talk in comparative language. This is something positively stated, and then the same thing is said, stated negatively. And that's what we read in these first five verses of the psalms, verses one through three that the one who obeys God's law is blessed versus four and five, the ones who disobey and reject it um, are, are condemned. Psalm one verses four and five, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The, the righteous and those who are obedient receive God's care and live a blessed life, but the wicked, not so with them. Um, they are condemned. Uh, they are, are away from God, and so they are away from God's blessing. And then the psalmist ends by answering the question, why this is, in verse 6. Why is that, we might ask him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 1, verse 6, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Just as we read in the Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes and in other places and, and wisdom literature and other places, just like this psalm, we realize that that's a generalization that is mostly true, but that there are exceptions. We all know some wicked people who seem to prosper just fine. And we also know some righteous people who suffer a lot and are not as blessed as we might think the psalmist is trying to say. But overall, and generally speaking, and always true when you talk about ultimate joy and ultimate blessing of eternal life, we know that what the psalmist writes is exactly true, that the righteous who seek to obey God's law live under his blessing and under his care. And even in other passages in the New Testament and Old Testament, such as in the life of Christ, when he says, look, in the world, you're going to have trouble in John 16, verse 33. But he says, take art, I have overcome the world. We have that promise of ultimate blessing and ultimate deliverance uh, from God, and his word shares that with us. And so now we turn forward to the 19th Psalm, 1-9, uh, and it's got a very familiar passage at the very beginning and at the very end. 
And so as we look at this psalm, the psalmist acknowledges witness to the word of God, and, and he first sees it in creation itself. Psalm 19, these familiar, wonderful, beautiful words in verses 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. What an incredible, powerful, powerful statement. This is written according to the heading uh, by King David. And we know King David, probably very right-brained, a poet, a songwriter, uh, a wonderful man, a man who was not perfect as, by any stretch as we know, but one who seemed to be uh, in touch with God and in touch with uh, God's word and God's will, and one who had the heart after God's own heart as the Bible describes him. Um, and, and so he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The, the, the sky, the firmament shows his handiwork. And he talks about how, what kind of witness they are. There, there's no words that creation uses. It, it is a witness without words. Uh, day after day, night after night, they acknowledge and sing the praises to the creator in the way that he created them. Uh, to do it. It's just marvelously stated. Verse 3, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Um, they glorify and praise God without a single human word attached, and they are doing it because they're they're acting in, in uh, just exactly the way that the Creator made them to act. And that's what we are called to do as well. He describes a, a wonderful sunrise and then watching that sun give its warmth all the way across the sky to the other end and then setting in the west. And what a great way of describing that here in Texas during these beautiful fall days that we've had. We've had the nice cool uh, uh, mornings and uh, and if the sky is clear, you see that beautiful sunrise and then the warmth of the sun. Yes, it warms up here even in October uh, during the day, most days. And that sun is so shining brightly throughout uh, the day and then the marvelous Texas sunsets uh, that God has blessed us with in this part of the world. Uh, at the end of the day. We know that the earth revolves around the sun. We get that. Uh, and this is no contradiction to that. This is simply an expression of what the psalmist saw. And what he saw was a wonderful, beautiful blessing in creation uh, from the Lord our God. The psalmist acknowledges the witness of creation, but that's not his focus. His focus is on God's word. Interestingly enough, as beautiful as the first part of that passage is, it's really the next section that is the heart of his message. Because what he's saying is the creation points us to the word of God. And that word is marvelous. Uh, the, the psalmist praises God for his word beginning in verse Seven And some of you that have been around the churches of Christ for a while, maybe from youth group days like I was in the 70s or maybe 80s, you're going to recognize these words uh, from songs that we used to sing in our devotionals. 
Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Okay, a couple of things. First of all, the song, right? You remember that song? Some of you do. The law of the Lord is perfect concerning the soul. The testimony of the Lord. All that wonderful song that we used to sing. Uh, great. And then the chorus, more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey from the honeycomb. Uh, those, those, that brings back such great memories. And uh, I hope that you remember those songs. And, and I hope that you can tie them together with this great psalm in such a wonderful way. But the second thing I want to say about this passage is that it surprises us. Um, we live in a free country and our freedom and liberty are very important to us, especially here in Texas. Um, but And so we might look at the Psalms and we might look at the law of Moses and the Old Testament and we might say, wow, that is, man, that was, how can you live under such constraint? How could you realize that you have to follow every, every law and that you have to dot every I and cross every T? And yes, we are so thankful for the gospel, for the good news that says, even though you fail to keep that law completely, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sin when you turn your life over to him, when you're baptized into his name and raised to live a new life. We get that. We understand that. But but the psalmist felt that way living under God's law. He doesn't curse the law. He doesn't feel constrained by the law. He says the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Uh, far from feeling constrained and, and enslaved, the psalmist is rejoicing in the law of the Lord. What a great attitude, what a great spirit, uh, what a great understanding of this world and this life and our creator. And so verses 10 and 11 say, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold, sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Uh, by them, by the word of God, by the law of the Lord, uh, that your servant is warned and keeping them there is great reward. God saves us, he warns us, from living a life that only results in frustration and death and in keeping his word uh, in a positive, stated positively, we are rewarded. There is great reward now in this life as Jesus tells his disciples at the end of Mark 10 and in other places. There's, uh, there's great reward in this life and in the age to come eternal life. Uh, we don't always see it. It's not, it's not given the way uh, we measure reward in dollars and cents or power or glory or health even, but rather there is that presence of God that always stays with us. Um, and then finally, in the end of this psalm, the psalmist prays, and he prays that he might be pleasing to God, starting with creation, how creation uh, acknowledges the word of God without saying a single word, 
And then going to that word specifically and talking about how beautiful and wonderful and delightful the precepts, uh, the laws, the, uh, the teaching of the word of God are. And then the psalmist prays this prayer and ends this great psalm, Psalm 19, with some very familiar words. Psalm 19, verse 12, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. After emphasizing the word of God, the psalmist throws up his hand and says, yeah, but I, I don't keep it. It's beautiful. It's delightful. It it warns me. It, it, it rewards me. It saves me. But too many times I've been disobedient. And so the psalmist, and we join the psalmist, King David, in asking for God's forgiveness. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. We're reminded of Jesus saying, as he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the same thought that the psalmist has here. Uh, may that will of mine that so often goes against your will, O God, may it not overpower your word and your will in my life. What a great, great prayer. And then the psalmist ends Psalm 19 with this incredible statement that you've seen and heard many times before. Psalm 19, verse 14. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's the verse that has, is on a graphic that I put on my Facebook page, I believe, yesterday. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is our prayer as we look to the wonderful and amazing and joyful and delightful and liberating word of God. Uh, and on Thursday, we'll be able to look again at this marvelous word in Psalm 119 that speaks so much about how God's word is a delight and a joy uh, to all of us, starting with the psalmist, uh, continuing on to the Lord himself, and then as seen in his church and in us today. We'll close with this great prayer. In Psalm 19, verse 14, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. <music>